Hello, Utah Jazz fans, and welcome back to the Jano Splash Podcast. Uh, this is Jared Woodcox, your host, and man, I've, I've missed you guys. I know it's been, um, you know, a bit of a break in between shows. I apologize for that. Um, I've had a lot of crazy things going on in life. Uh, my wife and I just recently moved into a new home, uh, so exciting things. But but I apologize for the neglect in, in doing the podcast. Hoping now that things have settled down a little bit that I can get back into more of a regular cadence. Uh, so hopefully you guys are, are excited for that and looking forward to continuing the show now that the season's underway. I have a ton that I want to talk about, a ton I want to say about the Jazz um, that I'm going to get into in, in the upcoming weeks. Um, for now, I actually just barely got done recording a crossover show uh, with the Garbage Into Gold podcast, which is hosted by PHL Sports Nation. Um, I had a conversation on there with Jesse Larch. Um, him and I talked about the Jazz Sixers matchup coming up uh, tomorrow if you're listening on Tuesday or tonight night if you're listening Wednesday the 6th. Um, so for today's show, um, just here after this intro, I'll have you guys tune into our conversation about that upcoming matchup and then be expecting some upcoming shows soon. I'll give you all my impressions on the Utah Jazz's start to the regular season and what we can expect moving forward. So as I said, without further ado, um, Jesse Larch uh, from the Garbage Into Gold podcast hosted by PHL Sports Nation and I are going to have a nice conversation on Jazz Sixers. Welcome into another episode of Garbage Into Gold. I am Jesse Large, joined now by Jared Woodcox of Janos. He is the editor for that website. Jared, how are you doing tonight? Good. How about yourself, Jesse? I'm doing all right. So if you don't know, Janos is a Utah Jazz-oriented website, and with the Sixers playing the Utah Jazz tomorrow night, or tonight if you're listening to this on Wednesday, then... You'll get some good insight here from Jared to figure out what the Sixers are going up against tomorrow night. We'll start right away. The Jazz coming into this game, they're 4-3, and three, some statement wins. They've beaten Phoenix, who just took down the Sixers and gave them their first loss of the season. They also beat the Clippers, albeit a little bit of a limited team, and the Clippers returned that favor to them. So a bit of a back-and-forth start for the Utah Jazz so far this year. They've come in with some high expectations how have you seen the beginning of the year kind of go for them, just as a general blanket statement there? Yeah, you know, I feel like um, I've kind of learned to temper my expectations with the Jazz. I mean, I do have high hopes for them this year, um, but all throughout the offseason, I've kind of been pinning them as, you know, these first 25 games, they adjust to the new faces. I really thought they'd kind of start right around 500 as they have. Honestly, I've been I've been a little bit disappointed just in in some of the ways that they've lost games. For example, that recent loss to the Kings was just the Jazz shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. Um, and even the one against the Clippers, the Jazz had a nice lead in the second half and really were in control of that game. And then all of a sudden, again, shot themselves in the foot to lose that game. So I, I guess I'd say in some ways I've expected them to be a little bit slow out of the gates, uh, you know, from the get go. The way that they've been slotted the gates and some of the issues they've had, I, I found a little bit disappointing, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I don't get to watch as much jazz basketball as you do. And right. I mean, full disclosure, they're not even really one of the teams that when they come across on national TV in my market that I jump to go watch. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I understand Donovan Mitchell's a solid player. I'm I'm one of the grumpy people about his game. Um, I'm not going to sit here and bash him, though, because he's off to a great start this year, um, shooting for over 50% from the field, I believe, 25.7 points per game. And really, he's kind of rounded out his game across all aspects, getting more rebounds, assists, steals. He's still kind of growing, and you're seeing that. Right. Um, but is it a case where, especially in the case of Mike Conley, 
who was the big offseason acquisition for the Utah Jazz. He's shooting the second most three per game, threes per game on the team right now at 5.6, and he's shooting a measly 28.2%. How much has his lack of contribution affected the Jazz so far? I mean, I'd say big time. I mean, I was actually going through each of their losses um, just yesterday, and with the exception of, of maybe one of those losses, um, if he had just shot an average percentage, I'm not even talking good percentage. If he had just shot, you know, right around, you know, maybe the high 30s from the field and, and maybe, you know, 30 to 33 percent from three, the Jazz would have had enough points to win those games. And so the fact that he has just not been able to find a groove has been really, really detrimental to the Jazz um, in this early going. What to me has been most surprising about Conley, though, is, you know, I feel like, you know, every player is going to get in a shooting slump. And if Conley was in this slump in the middle of the season, we probably wouldn't even be talking about it. Just it would just be kind of, you know, the normal for an 82 game season. Uh, but what's been really surprising to me about him has been his turnovers. Um, you know, he has been, you know, reputed as a guy that takes care of the basketball, a smart and steady point guard who, who doesn't make a lot of those mistakes. And I know it's a new system. You know, obviously he's been just with the Grizzlies his whole career before this. But a lot of times he's looked really just kind of confused and lost on offense. And he's coughed up the ball in ways that I, I didn't foresee would be an issue with him. So so that's been something, you know, kind of concerning for me. I would say in all, you know, I, I am a little worried about Conley, uh, but definitely willing to give him time as well. So while it has been hurtful in this early going, I'm still ready to be patient. Uh, but the Jazz definitely need him to turn it up soon because it's it's been a really rough start. Yeah, one thing I noticed with the Jazz's team stats when I was looking is they're 28th in the league in pace right now. Mm-hmm. And speaking about Mike Conley and the turnovers, just this is, again, I haven't really gotten to see him play too much of this season in Quinn Snyder's system. Right. But the first thing I thought of when you said that was Memphis was much more of a a lot more of a transition team. They thrived off momentum style plays, you know, getting the ball loose, running down the court and scoring that way. And it wasn't as much as Mike Conley as a facilitator as it was as him as a catalyst. Um, And I'm thinking maybe, you know, running more of that half court offense, which I'm assuming you guys are if the pace is that slow, that maybe that's just not his skill set. I don't know what you think about that. I mean, I think it's within his I think it's within his capability to be in his skill set I just think it's it's a big adjustment period and you know you look at who he you know has been accustomed to playing with at center for most of his career you know him and Mark Gasol were really that one-two punch and while both Mark Gasol and Rudy Gobert are are phenomenal players they're also both extremely different players I mean you're not going to have Rudy Gobert you know uh, spotting up at the elbow to shoot a shoot a 15 foot jumper, um, whereas Gasol really lived lived there and he, he was able to knock down threes and things like that. So where Conley um, is used to playing with a center like that, now he has to adjust to playing with a center like Gobert, who he needs to throw lobs at the rim to and things like that. And yeah, as far as just the styles, I think another thing is Conley was so accustomed to having the ball in his hands, you know, almost all the time in Memphis. And now a lot of the times, you know, you have Donovan Mitchell with the ball in his hands, um, even Boyan Bogdanovich, who has been absolutely spectacular for the Jazz thus far. Um, you know, he's he's, you know, handled a lot of those those ball handling duties as well. And I think Mike's kind of in a weird spot where, you know, he knows the Jazz are relying on him to be aggressive and, and do things, um, you know, a certain way. But he also has to get used to not always having the ball in his hands to being effective off ball as well. And so I think there's a lot of things he's trying to learn and, and adapt to and figure out how aggressive he should be and shouldn't be when he should pass, when he should shoot, et cetera. And it, it's been a steep learning curve so far. So hopefully he gets it figured out soon. But that's really what I've, I've observed as of this point. Well, you just mentioned the play style of Gobert. And I actually saw Rudy Gobert be a little outspoken and say the team needs yeah. to get him the ball more in the paint. Now, I look 
again, looking at the stats, I see a team that's shooting the three extremely well right now. Right. Jeff Green at 45.5%. Bogdanovich, who you mentioned, averaging 20 points a game and shooting 45% from three. Mitchell, 44.4%. And Royce O'Neal, 40%. So you have four players hitting from long range at a 40% or better clip. And then Joe Ingles, who's normally in that type of company, who's shooting 4.73s a game. That's the third most on the team at 33.3%. I expect that number to climb for him as the season goes on. For sure. So would that be ill-advised to give the ball to Gobert inside more when the team has the ability to shoot the lights out like that? So I feel like that just slows down the offense. Yeah, that's a good point. And honestly, with Rudy's comments, I kind of... I feel like I agreed in some ways and I disagreed in other ways um, where I agreed and where I think he may have been uh, trying to direct his comments were when he has a mismatch. I think there's been times when the Jazz have been missing him, um, you know, specifically Conley, who, I, like I said, is not, maybe not used to playing with that style of center. So I do think there's times when the Jazz need to take advantage of that mismatch and Rudy needs to get the ball down low and go up and either get fouled or, or make the easy dunk. Um, but, you know, also I think Rudy needs to look at himself a little bit as well. Um, because a big reason why I think he's not getting the ball as much, uh, not only to your point, Jesse, that the Jazz are shooting the three well, but another reason is he he just has not seemed to improve at catching the ball in traffic. Um, you know, his hands have not really gotten to where you would hope they would be um, over the past two years. I, we haven't seen a lot of progress there. And so a lot of times when he's fed the ball down low, um, it really just makes the offense stop. He doesn't have much of a back-to-the-basket move he can go to. Uh, you see a lot of ugly shots when he gets in that position. He's a lot better in the pick-and-roll when he's diving towards the rim and can be you know, essentially catching lobs or when he's able to kind of slip behind the defense and get an easy look that way. So I guess I'm just a little confused by what Gobert exactly wants, unless he means, you know, that he wants uh, to be able to attack those mismatches more. Because if he's just catching the ball in the post and and expected to go to work, it's just historically has not ended well. and It's been the same this year. So I guess there's room for improvement there. But I'm with you that in some ways the Jazz are doing things right um, where where they're shooting so well. So it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, if that makes sense. Well, speaking of what the Jazz are doing right, their offense has, stalled at times with that 25th offensive rating in the NBA. Right. But defensively, they're the number two defensive team, according to defensive rating. Right. And I'm sure Gobert is a big part of that. And Mitchell has always stated how he wants to be a great defender. Angles yeah. is another good defender. And that was one of Mike Connolly's strong suits coming to Utah. So as, as tough as he's been on the offensive end of the floor, how has he fit in defensively for Utah, and how has it made them better or worse compared to last year? Yeah, so real quick, let me just touch on, I know that, you know, for probably 99.9% of Sixers fans, Jazz Kings was not high on the priority list to watch. Uh, but in that most recent Jazz Kings game, that unfortunately, yes, the, the Jazz lost, but there was a stretch in the fourth quarter where the Jazz were behind, and, and literally Rudy Gobert's defense uh, single-handedly willed the Jazz back into the game. It was just, you know, incredible to watch how he affected shot after shot after shot, and the Kings were out of sorts. And, and really, the Jazz should have won that game had it not been for a late missed box out. Um, but going to your question in regards to Conley, one of the things where he has been an upgrade over Rubio is that Conley just has better ability to stay in front of guys, um, and so that has been something that has helped out. Where I think he has struggled a little bit, though, is is just getting used to the Jazz system where their whole defense, you know, hinges on forcing guys to either go to the rim and meet Rudy Gobert or settle for a mid-range jump shot. 
And so sometimes Conley, th- this has been his biggest problem defensively, in, in my opinion. He's gotten into foul trouble in a lot of games because I feel like he's almost overcommitting on the perimeter and he's getting caught with silly fouls that he doesn't need to do. He needs to stay in front of his man and, like I said, either force him and funnel him into Gobert or make him settle for the mid-range shot. And not we don't want to give up threes. We don't want to give up, you know, obviously get fouls like Conley has done. So that's been a big issue. So I, I think on the bright side of things, um, Conley has the potential to fit better with, with uh, Quinn's defensive identity um, but on the bad side he's been given into fouls and not quite grasping this system just yet based on what I've seen so with the U- Jazz getting ready to play the Sixers now we see the Sixers coming off of their first loss of the season a game against the Phoenix Suns right in which Devin Booker just absolutely dominated 15 of 19 from the floor 40 points is that what you expect someone like Donovan Mitchell to have to do to for this Jazz team as is with their current trials and tribulations to play the Sixers come out with a win? Does Donovan Mitchell have to take on that kind of role or can the Jazz play a team game and have a way to attack the Sixers? You know, that's such an interesting question because, I mean, you look at last year and really the the biggest problem the Jazz had, and this this is so evident in their, you know, quite, quite frankly embarrassing uh, five-game loss to the Rockets was Donovan Mitchell had to do so much offensively that literally the Rockets were just, you know, stacking up their defense on him and, and making forcing other guys have to make shots, which they didn't do. And so this offseason, really, the thought was, OK, let's go out and add Conley. Let's go out and add Bogdanovich so we can take some of that offensive load off of Mitchell. Um, but even with those guys, and, and although Bogdanovich has been good, it still feels like there's so many times when if, if Mitchell's not on and if Mitchell's not carrying a huge load, the Jazz just get into big trouble on offense. And so maybe that'll change as Conley gets, you know, adjusted or as Bogdanovich continues to play well. Maybe we'll see a little bit more of that that load uh, shared between players. But most recently, we have seen Mitchell still having to carry a heavy load. So um, in regards to your question, Jesse, I feel like at this point, based on what we've seen, uh, my answer would be probably it's probably going to take a big game from Donovan Mitchell for the Jazz to win this one. Um, but ideally, by the end of the season, you know, once we're getting closer to playoffs, ideally to get big wins against teams like the Sixers or against the Clippers or the Lakers, the Jazz will be able to use more of a balanced attack. I think that will come with time and with cohesion and chemistry. Um, but for now, on this early going, as much as it's a little, you know, scary to maybe say it, I think, yeah, the Jazz are still relying so much on Donovan Mitchell that he'll probably have to have a big game uh, for the Jazz to get the result they want. So I mentioned a little bit earlier in this episode that I'm not the biggest Donovan Mitchell fan. And the knock that I kind of always threw on him was the field goal percentage and the amount of shots he takes. Right. But as I also mentioned, he's shooting over 50 over 50 percent to start the year. Mm-hmm. So has he done anything tactically to change that and to improve his field goal percentage? Is it a case of just a hot streak? Good luck. Or is Donovan Mitchell making conscious efforts to take better shots and to try to score points in a more efficient manner? Yeah, these are really good questions. And obviously, uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of bitterness between, uh, you know, Sixers fans and Jazz fans, the whole Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell debate. They may Ab- never absolutely. <laughs> um, but, you know, setting that aside, obviously, and I, I think, Jesse, you, all, you know, also looking at this objectively, um, you bring up, obviously, the most clear point that, you know, one of Mitchell's biggest weaknesses, you know, has been his his efficiency or, or lack thereof. And a couple things I'd say to that is, you know, one, you, you may be exactly right. Maybe his hot start this year is just a little bit of a streak and maybe he's going to go back to, you know, being inefficient. But I definitely think he's made a conscious effort to do a lot of things to, to improve in this area. Um, I think he looked especially at last year's playoffs and saw how inefficient he was and, and it's something he wanted to improve. Um, but another thing I'll say definitely that's going to help him so far. Well, it's helped him so far this season. It'll continue to help him is even though Conley struggled, 
now that the Jazz have Conley and Bogdanovich on the floor, and even you know Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, the Jazz's spacing is so much better than it was um, a year ago. And Donovan Mitchell has been able to get to his spots, and he's been able to take smarter shots and easier shots as a result of that. So even if he hadn't put in work this summer, which I, I know he had, and I'll get to that in just a second, just the fact that the personnel around him is more conducive to him finding success, I think that's a huge reason why his efficiency has shot up and why it will continue to, to shoot up. Um, but also, I, I think that he's really been, you know, for lack of a better term, he's been a student of the game, and he's looked to improve and be smarter in his decisions and, and when he's going to shoot, when he's going to dish the ball. Um, I don't know if you watched much of the FIBA World Cup or not this summer, but obviously Team USA had a disappointing showing, but I don't think anyone can deny that Mitchell played great. And and even with Kemba Walker on the team, I, I think that it's it's not a stretch at all to say that Donovan Mitchell was the best player uh, for Team USA this summer. He just had um, a lot of improvements where he showed better efficiency. He passed the ball well. He notched a lot of good assists. And I think just a lot of that is carrying over to this season. So between his personal effort in improving his shot making and decision making and also just the jazz surrounding him with players that um, help him get to better spots, I think those are both going to help him. And you'll see a big jump this year in efficiency from Donovan Mitchell. I have one more player I want to touch on for Utah before I kind of throw it over to you to flip the script and ask some Sixers questions. Sure. So Ed Davis Guilty pleasure player of mine. One of those guys that I've always wanted to be on the Sixers. <laughs> Seems to be a free agent every offseason, and we never make him an offer. We never make the right offer. Um, when I saw he signed with Utah, I immediately thought of that defensive identity. Thought of him as a great guy to come in and spell Gobert. Just curious how he's looking so far off the bench. Um, I think last year it was Ekpe Udo got most of the minutes behind Gobert. Yeah. Yeah, so with now having Ed Davis, who I think he might not be a better player, tactically speaking or technically speaking, fundamentally, however you want to say it, but the energy he brings, you know, whenever he comes onto the floor, he brings a compete level that really seems to raise the effort of the people around him. I was curious what you just thought about him. So, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I'll say I, I was very excited about the Ed Davis signing as well. But unfortunately, I'm not sure if you heard the news or not, but he's actually going to be out for a while. He did suffer a leg fracture um, in one of the Jazz's recent games here. And so he is going to be out of commission for at least four weeks, which is definitely going to hurt because even going into the offseason, one of the huge concerns the Jazz were facing was, you know, you lose Jay Crowder, you lose Derek Favors, you've now lost a lot of your front court depth. And now with Ed Davis going down, that's that's even more the case. So, you know, leaving the injury to one side, though, I'm very excited about Ed Davis. I feel like initially he showed, obviously, that hustle. Um, his defense was a little shaky in preseason, I think, as he just got accustomed to Quinn Snyder's system. But he had some great flashes after that in the early games of the regular season. Um, obviously, he is a rebounding beast. That's been something that he has really hung his hat on in recent seasons. And he had shown that with the Jazz. And quite frankly, in the past two games, the Jazz's defense has been so atrocious that we really needed Ed Davis, and his presence has been missed for sure already. And then just the energy he brings. I think one thing that Jazz fans are maybe a little disappointed in, which I think is unfair, um, but I think some Jazz fans may be trying to compare him to Derek Favors, um, who obviously will be missed in Utah. Um, and Ed Davis and Derek Favors both have their strengths and weaknesses, but they're just different players. And so for Jazz fans to be expecting um, you know, Davis to bring some of the same things Favors did is probably not a fair comparison whatsoever. Um, but other than that, I think everything has been very positive about Davis 
Hopefully he will be able to make a, a swift recovery. Like I said, they said four weeks is when he'll be reevaluated. Um, I did see some shots from practice today where he was not in a cast or anything. Uh, I guess he's not jumping or obviously participating. Um, so it must not be too crazy serious of a fracture. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's out longer than four weeks. So who is spelling Rudy Gobert then when he comes off for his braces? I saw he's only averaging yeah. about just shy of 30 minutes a night. Yeah, so right now with, uh, with Davis out, uh, it's actually Tony Bradley, who um, has has been kind of a project for the Jazz. And he's shown some flashes in summer league games, in G League, um, in preseason. And he had really his first meaningful minutes the other night against the Clippers. And, and quite frankly, he did pretty well. I mean, obviously, you're not expecting Tony Bradley to uh, set the world on fire with the position he's in. But he is finally going to be getting a chance to show if he's really an NBA player or not. And so it's going to be a huge opportunity for him, uh, but also a little bit scary for the Jazz that they're going to be relying on someone that's so inexperienced during those minutes that Gobert's not on the floor. The other thing they've done a little bit, um, we haven't seen this a ton yet, but I imagine we'll see it more uh, with Davis out of commission, is sometimes the Jazz go small and they'll put Jeff Green at that center position. Um, So we may see more small ball lineups with Jeff Green at center, which he has had some success in that spot before. Uh, But of course, in certain matchups, you know, take the Sixers, for example, they're so big. That's probably not going to be one the Jazz rely on too frequently. Yeah, as soon as you said small lineup, my eyes kind of lit up because if if they try to roll that out, especially with Embiid in his first game back tomorrow, um, I'm not sure it would suit the Jazz too well. Yep. And, and quite frankly, the the Sixers and the Lakers and, you know, to some extent, the Pacers, the, the teams that, you know, really are committed to being big are the teams that actually worry me the most as far as matchups go for the Jazz. For that very reason, I just mentioned that, you know, when they got rid of Favors, got rid of Crowder, they lost a lot of their front court depth. Um, so it's going to be hard for the Jazz, you know, at any at any point in the regular season or postseason to contain teams that have two bigs that are a handful. So that's going to be something interesting to watch. Obviously, the Jazz added more shooting and more versatility offensively, but they did sacrifice some of their ability to, to go big and guard large teams. So that's going to be something to watch for them all year long. OK, now, you know, I think I've got all my Jazz questions out of the way. If you have anything you want to throw at me, feel more than welcome. Yeah, for sure. I mean. I guess the first thing I would want to to ask you about is what are your thoughts so far on uh, the play of Ben Simmons this season? You know, I know that he's had some great showings last night against the Suns was obviously not one of his best games. Talk to me about how you see this season going for him and what you're excited or maybe worried about. So with Ben, like the opening night this year, he came out and he really let the court on fire. Um, Embiid took a blow to the face and they kind of just they kind of just went on cruise control for most of the second half. Embiid didn't really play his normal amount of minutes, just more out of preservation than out of a serious injury. Yeah. And. Ben Simmons was really the catalyst all night long. Um, and it was great to see, especially against a team like Boston, who was giving him fits in the past. So it's the year started off with a lot of optimism about Ben, especially coming in with, you know, the videos online of him shooting threes in practice and hitting the three in preseason. You know, there was a lot of justified optimism about Ben Simmons and something that my podcast partner, Brandon, has been saying a lot lately, and I'm definitely inclined to agree with him, is it doesn't seem like Ben Simmons has developed too much. We're still seeing a lot of the same things that we were getting frustrated with a year before. Now, he's still an all-star caliber player as he is right now. But when you know what he can become, if he adds that next layer to his game, you know, it, it does get a little bit frustrating watching him not take that next step. At the same time, you know, you look at a guy 
like LeBron, and I, every time I bring up LeBron's name with Ben, I have to emphasize I'm not saying Ben Simmons is going to be LeBron James. Right. But LeBron had a similar issue where his shot took time to develop. And it really wasn't until year four or five that LeBron was a comfortable shooter. So Ben Simmons is essentially in his third season right now. I don't want to overreact, but it does feel like if he doesn't get it soon, the Sixers might miss their window. And I think if he can get that going sooner than later, which I am still expecting it to start to show this year, I just thought we would have seen it some point over the first six games, and we haven't yet. So that's yeah. the frustrating part with him. What I will say about Ben, and I said this about him last year, is I think last year he stepped into the category of an elite defender without anyone really acknowledging it. And he has definitely continued that so far this year. Whether he's empowered by the lineup around him, which is just so defensively imposing with all that length that you just mentioned, or if it's just a continued a continued case of confidence for Ben, I believe he's currently leading the NBA in steals with Matisse Thibel behind him for second. I mean, he has grown into a legitimate shutdown defender, and he can guard five positions. So I think in that sense, you know, it's hard to get too mad at him. The guy does 99% of things right. There's just 1% of things we're waiting on to come through. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I'll, I'll be totally transparent with you. Like, I feel like there's just on both sides, and I think because of the whole rookie of the year thing, uh, there's some Sixers fans that have this irrational, some irrational feelings towards Donovan Mitchell, and then some Jazz fans that have irrational feelings towards Ben Simmons. I think if we're, we're all being honest with ourselves. Like, they're both really good young players. They both have strengths and weaknesses, and there's both things that they can they can improve on. And personally, as a Jazz fan, um, you know, I, I think Ben Simmons is, is tremendous. I think he's ex- he's exceptional to watch. And, and like you said, as he adds to the defense and different things to his game, he's only going to continue to get better. The one thing that I feel like I've noticed with him, Jesse, and, and kind of like you with the Jazz, I mean, I only watch probably 10 to 15 regular season Sixers games uh, every year. So I'm not watching him night in and night out as you are. But I feel like with him, one thing that, that I've kind of noticed, is it seems like he kind of picks and chooses at times, whether it's in a game or or a certain game. He kind of picks and chooses when he's going to go all out. And I could see that being a little frustrating for Sixers fans. It, it, maybe I'm mistaken, but I'm just curious on your thoughts on that. Do you feel like there's that's an issue at all? Or has he been just pretty consistent in your mind? I wouldn't disagree with that. I'm not sure if picking and choosing is the right word. Okay. Um, I think, you know, when teams sag off of him, he kind of exposes himself a little bit and limits himself. You know, there's definitely nights when, like, I can circle a game on the calendar and tell you when Ben's going to have a big game. Because there's certain matchups and certain opponents that he knows he's going to be able to feast. And he has that confidence before the game even starts. So he goes out there with that killer's mentality already in his head. Then there will be other nights when he doesn't feel that way. Whether there's a certain defender on the floor, there's a certain way the team likes to approach it. And you can really sense it just in the way he plays with how passive he gets. So there'll be those nights when Ben will come out, he'll blow right past his defender, go right to the hoop, you know, dunks, layups, drawing fouls, everything else. Then there'll be nights where he just stands outside the perimeter and looks for a way to pass the ball to someone else. And that's more of that frustration where we're talking about where you know we see all those lebron-esque qualities that he can get to the rim at will that he is a superb athlete and it's like i maybe in a way we want him to live up to that baby lebron label and that's probably not fair but it's in there because we've all seen it in there we've seen those games where he comes out and he is a man amongst boys and he can be when he wants to be so it's more just getting that on a nightly basis and that's been the frustrating thing over his career so far yeah, that makes sense. I, I think you definitely articulated better what, what I've kind of noticed, and, and that, that's really solid. 
Um, I think the last question I have for you, Jesse, before maybe we just break down our, our thoughts and predictions on the upcoming matchup um, is, you know, obviously the Sixers had that first win over the the Celtics, which I think you could uh, definitely classify as a statement win, first game of the year and whatnot. Um, but it feels like since then, um, they, they've they've had some great wins, um, but maybe not over the most uh, you know daunting of teams. And then the last two, even the loss to the Suns and, and that close shave against the Blazers, I feel like they're a little bit outliers because obviously Embiid didn't play. Um, but how do you feel the team has done outside of those games, and, and how do you feel they're going to stack up once they start playing tougher teams like, I mean, the Jazz tomorrow, the Nuggets after that, uh, Lakers, Clippers? How do you think they'll stack up against the other elite teams in the league? So going back to the games you just mentioned, um, I actually consider the Blazers game to be one of the really important games. That one and the game in Atlanta were two very close, grinded-out wins for this team. And you mentioned the Blazers, they didn't have Embiid, which I think is significant because the Sixers, in general, even with or with without Embiid over the past couple of years have had a really hard time finishing games when they get down to those you know those short amount of points and games are decided by a basket or two it's generally not the Sixers that win that game yeah this year they've been doing that in Atlanta they did it they found a way with Embiid drawing fouls getting to the line slowing down the game and then in Portland it was you know an unbelievable finish there with Anthony Simons hitting a shot that seemed to give Portland the win and then Furkan Korkmaz answering. I mean, it was really an incredible moment, but it was more incredible because the two big questions about this team have always been depth without Embiid or behind Embiid, which was kind of answered with the Al Horford edition. Yeah. But it's still that depth behind Embiid and the bench depth. So for a bench player to come in and hit that winning shot, I thought was really significant. Um, they've gotten good contributions from the bench rather consistently so far this year, I'd say. I think Mike Scott's been good. Um, James Ennis is kind of a not really a score sheet guy, but he, I think he makes an impact. He's tough to watch at times. <laughs> he's, a, uh, he's a very erratic player, but he's an effort player, and he does make a lot of things happen, whether ugly or pretty. And then even when guys have had to step up, like Furkan Korkmaz and even Shake Milton before his knee injury, you know, having these guys seemingly come out of nowhere and hit another level in their development, that's going to be a key for this team when it seems to be happening early on. Granted, it's only six games into the season. So I don't want to put too much stock in, but I think the bench has been encouraging so far. As far as those other teams you mentioned, the Denvers and the Clippers and the Lakers, um, I think the Sixers will match up well with a team like Denver. I'm just not I'm not over the moon about Denver this year. I think when Embiid goes up against other bigs like uh, the other big name bigs in the league, he right. certainly gets a chip on his shoulder and I don't get the same vibe from a guy like Nikola Jokic that he's that kind of competitor. Not that he's not a great player because he's phenomenal. He's off to us a weird start this year though for sure. Yeah, and I think Embiid especially with all the talk before the year, before the year started where all of the league executives said they'd rather have Jokic than Embiid I guarantee Embiid heard that. He's active enough online, as we all know. (laughs) But uh, talking about the Lakers and the Clippers, the Lakers are another one where if you really look at the Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid head-to-head matchups over the past couple years, I would argue Embiid's dominated Davis. Um, I don't think Anthony Davis is used to having someone that can challenge him. And when Embiid does that, I think Anthony Davis kind of disappears a little bit. Now, 
will that change with Davis being empowered by having a guy like LeBron James on the floor with him? There's a good chance that happens. But I think the Sixers can hang with the Lakers. My bigger worry is going to be the Clippers more because of the nightmare that Kawhi Leonard gave us last year in the playoffs and having to sit there and watch that ball hover above the rim before it eventually went down and eliminated us. Um, So between that and just the overall depth, I think there's not a deeper team in the league than the Clippers are right now because they have a legitimate starting five, a legitimate six man, and legitimate players behind Lou Williams on that bench. So I think I would still probably say the Clippers are the team you have to prove you can beat, but I would not be surprised at all if the Sixers are a team that can beat them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, honestly, um, I think the Sixers are my team to come out of the the East this year. If I had to be, if I was a betting man, uh, obviously Milwaukee will be tough. Um, but I just think the addition of Horford um, is just going to make them even scarier defensively. And and like you said, I mean, you honestly could have actually seen a, a pretty realistic path for the Sixers to make the finals last year um, if that ball doesn't bounce in for Kawhi. And then I feel like the Sixers can match up pretty well against Milwaukee as well. And it looks like Philadelphia has gotten even better so far this year. So they're my team to come out of the East. going to be really crazy to see uh, what they're able to do. And just real quick, it's, it's kind of ironic that you mentioned that the Sixers have struggled to win close games in years past because I felt the exact same way about the Jazz. And earlier in the season, you know, the Jazz started out 4-1, and one, and they won a couple games that were really close, and you thought maybe they were turning a corner. And then they went, and their last two have been games where they had late leads or they, they should have been able to win late, and they, they couldn't get it done. So – it's just a nerve-wracking and a frustrating thing to see. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out for both teams, uh, you know, throughout the course of the season. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that was um, we had Justin Quinn from USA Today on before the home open to talk about the Celtics, and that was the question he had: is without Jimmy Butler, who's going to close these games for the Sixers? And my rebuttal to that was it won't be a player. It's going to be the team defense. And I mentioned the Atlanta game. That's really what happened in Atlanta was as that game got down into crunch time, you saw that defensive end of the floor for the Sixers continue to shrink. And there was suddenly, suddenly Atlanta couldn't get any of the looks they were all game. I mean, when the Sixers turn it on defensively, it is honestly frightening. Um, I was sitting at the home opener and some of the defensive possessions the Sixers had were downright comical because it was, I mean, it's not. I mean, the Celtics aren't a bad basketball team at all. And I think Brad Stevens, if I had to put the best coaches in the NBA, he's on my short list. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the things this team can do defensively when they're clicking is downright absurd. And if that becomes, if that begins to happen with any form of regularity, I think there's not a team in the league that can really contend with the Sixers. If they're going to defend like that, I don't know how you compete with that. Right. And I mean, the Celtics, to your point, that the only game they've lost is that one against the Sixers. So, I mean, and they've seen, I think they've gotten better as as the season has started to get going here. So um, that was a very, very big win for the Sixers, for sure. I think it'll be even bigger in hindsight as the season goes on. Yeah, for sure. So now, you know, let's wrap the episode up. Um, Going into this game Wednesday night in Utah, how are you feeling about it? How do you think the Jazz approach the game? How do you see the outcome ending up? Yeah, so um, honestly, I, I'm I'm really nervous about this one. And, and, you know, even if I hadn't seen the Jazz play a single game, even just before the season, uh, as I mentioned to you, just the fact that the Sixers have so much size, that's something that I know is going to give the Jazz trouble all year long. So this is one that even from, you know, like I said, before the season started, I kind of had circled on the calendar as one that was going to be a tough victory. Um, I'd say, you know, if things go right for the Jazz, I mean, it is on their home court where they, they're still undefeated. Um, so hopefully that'll bring, give them some energy and things there. Um, they're going to need Mike Conley to get going if they, if they want to win this game. 
Um, I do think that Embiid is always going to come out extremely motivated coming off the suspension. And you mentioned how he likes to, you know, really step his game up against, uh, you know, big, big name uh, centers. And obviously with Rudy Gobert winning DPOY, Defense Player of the Year the past two years, I think this is probably one that Embiid has circled on his personal calendar as well. Um, but Rudy Gobert has enjoyed some, you know, good, good games against Embiid as well. So just seeing those two go head to head is going to be a ton of fun. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Embiid does get the best of the matchup in this instance uh, due to how motivated he's going to be in these circumstances. And quite frankly, I'm just nervous because I feel like the Jazz have a long way to go before they have adapted to one another. Um, I was feeling reasonably well when they were four and one. Uh, but even then, a lot of the issues they had were pretty prevalent. They had some close scrapes to get wins. Now that they've dropped two in a row. Um, you know, maybe they come out really determined to end the slump. And so that could give them some energy and some momentum. Um, but I'm definitely feeling nervous. And I my prediction, I, th- I do think the Sixers are going to win this one. Uh, I agree with you on that. I think some of the factors you mentioned, Embiid coming back, he'll have a little bit of fire under him. Um, my big concern with this game, I mentioned the numbers a little bit earlier about the three-point shooting that Utah's enjoying right now. Mm-hmm. three-point shooting has been the one glaring weakness for the Sixers this year. They really don't have a reliable three-point threat. Tobias Harris is a good scorer, but he doesn't necessarily rely on the three for his points. Yeah, You have the guys off the bench, like I said, Mike Scott, Farrakhan, Korkmaz, they like to shoot the three. But aside from them, there's really not a guy that you have to worry about stepping behind the line consistently and hitting shots. Yeah, Horford will take maybe two or three. Embiid will take two or three. But they're not those kind of guys that are going to make you really rush out to the line and going to if like if the game gets out of hand and say Utah opens up a lead at one point, mm-hmm. the Sixers have a hard time catching up fast. And that's the thing I'm worried about, especially with a team like Utah yeah. who can score points quickly because they shoot the three so well. So I think that's going to be the big thing to watch is how the Sixers defend the perimeter and how they get their points as well. Because if they want to live inside with the presence like Gobert, they're going to have to get creative with different looks. Things like Josh Richardson slashing through the lane, getting Al Horford away from Gobert and having Gobert focus on Embiid, almost use Embiid as a decoy at times just to get Gobert out of the play. Um, I think those are the kind of things you may have to see the Sixers do, but I am I'm generally confident the Sixers will go in and get the win, especially coming off of a loss, trying to get that bad taste out of their mouth. Yeah, I would say the Sixers will, the, the one thing they'll probably need to be cautious of is um, just not giving again, I guess, I guess I'm speaking here, but yeah, uh, opposed to what the jazz need to be watching out for, but, um, the Sixers need to not let the jazz get any momentum because that's going to be where the jazz could get dangerous. If they get off to a hot start and they essentially force, um, the, the Sixers to blink first and maybe make a change to match the jazz's lineup. That's where they're going to be in some trouble. Um, but if the Sixers can really muddy it up and make the Jazz have to try to go big and contain both Horford and, and Joel Embiid right out right out, out of the gates, that's where the Jazz are going to be in trouble right away. So I feel like whichever team sets the tone early is going to have a really good chance of winning. Um, obviously, the Jazz are good on their home court. They have a good home court advantage there. So if they come out guns a-blazing and get off to a nice run, that could really change the tone of the game. But I also feel like they're going to have a hard time doing that just because, like we've talked about, simply the size of the Sixers and some of the issues there. Yeah, I agree for sure. It's definitely going to be a fun game to watch. Um, Jared, I just want to say thank you. If you want to follow Jared, he is at Jared Woodcox on Twitter. Again, editor of the J Notes. Gives you plenty of good jazz content, as you can tell from this interview, because I certainly learned a lot from the jazz I didn't know. Jared, have a good night, and thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. It was awesome to be on, and uh, good luck. Have fun watching the game tomorrow.